When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hi there, this is The Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview. We are back for 2024 and it is an FA Cup weekend. Hi there, everyone. It is Adam Leventhal. Happy New Year to you all and welcome to our guest panel. John McKenzie, how are you? Really good, thank you. I'm raring to go for a new year. How are you? I'm very well, John. Thank you very much. I'm all set. Uh, Tim Spears is back again. I noticed not wearing your T-shirt, Tim. Uh, no, well, it's two, two sizes too small for me, so, you know. It would look silly. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. But it is good to have you back on board. And Nick Miller is here as well. How are you, Nick? I'm very well. I'm very well. I notice I haven't got a t-shirt of any description. Can't help but feel a bit left out. Mm. I also feel left out for yeah. the record. Well, you'll both have to just simply get over it because we've got a show to do. And just a reminder to everyone that all of the episodes of the Athletic Football Podcast are now available on the YouTube channel. Most of the time we will be in the studio this week we are remotely. The fixture formation, a little bit of a difficult one, this, because there are so many games and it is an FA Cup weekend. So this is the fixture formation. One, three, 19, eight, That's ridiculous. One, from Thursday through until Monday. I know it's ridiculous, Tim. I know. Look, you roll your eyes, even if it's a basic one. So I wasn't <laughs> expecting anything less from you. There are 32 fixtures and... I'm going to go through all 32 fixtures in a minute. Why? I don't know, but we're just going to do it anyway. So, ready? Start the clock. Last night, we had Crystal Palace against Everton. That was one of four all-Premier League ties. Friday evening, Brentford against Wolves, Spurs against Burnley. Those are two more of those four Premier League ties. You also have Fulham against Rotherham. On Saturday, it is Maidstone against Stevenage, Coventry against Oxford, Millwall against Leicester, Wimbledon against Ipswich, Sunderland against Newcastle, more on that in a moment, Watford against Chesterfield, Stoke against Brighton, Gillingham Sheffield United, Blackburn Cambridge, Newport County against Eastleigh, Norwich against Bristol Rovers, QPR Bournemouth, Plymouth against Sutton, Southampton Walsall, Hull Birmingham, Sheffield Wednesday against Cardiff, Chelsea Preston, Swansea Morecambe, Middlesbrough against Aston Villa. Then on Sunday, West Ham against Bristol City, Forest against Blackpool, Luton Bolton, Peterborough against Leeds, Shrewsbury against Wrexham, West Brom Aldershot, Man City Huddersfield, and then the fourth All-Premier League tie, Arsenal against Liverpool, followed on Monday night by Wigan against Manchester United. Nick, did we make it in a minute? No, that was one minute and nine seconds. <laughs> oh, for goodness oh, sake. It's the, you, you, you're never going to get that Soccer Saturday gig. Sorry, Adam. Got to keep <laughs> trying. No, I know. Doomed. 
Anyway, should we just crack on with the podcast and see if we can do that in around about 30 minutes or so? Let's start in the northeast. So 12.45 on Saturday in the UK, it is Sunderland against Newcastle, the first Tyne Weir derby since 2016. That was the year that Newcastle were relegated from the Premier League. They bounced straight back. The following year from the Premier League, Sunderland went down, ended up in League One after back-to-back relegations, and they didn't get back up until two seasons ago. And they almost made it back-to-back promotions, but they missed out to Luton in the playoffs last season. But Sunderland, if you go back to 2016, they're actually now going for four wins in a row against their great rivals. For each of you, how would you describe this derby in particular, the Tyne Weir derby? What word would you use to describe it, Tim? Rowdy, I would say. Rowdy rowdy AF, as the kids would say. Yeah, oh, I like it. Okay, Nick? Um, Can I just use the word horse? Uh, Because yes, uh, famously, of course, this was the with, game after which, with an A or without an A or both, w- without an A. Uh, famously, this was the game after which a man punched a horse. Um, very sad for the horse, uh, and very sad for the man as well. Uh, who was this was in 2013, um, and the man, uh, his name was Barry Rogerson. I've looked this up. Um, he was banned from football for six years, so he could theoretically attend this game. His, his ban ran out in 2019. So, what was the name yeah. of the horse, Nick? Ah, uh, god damn it! I haven't. Uh, I didn't check the name of the horse. It was a police horse. What? So what? He's the victim here. Come on, yeah. or, or she? Who is she? Don't know. Get, talk amongst yourselves and try and find out the name of the horse. <laughs> we'll come back to you in a minute, and we'll get the word in the meantime from John to describe this this tie, Sunderland Newcastle. How do you feel about hyphenated phrases? Because I uh, I want to say weirdly one-sided with hyphens in between each one because it feels to me like the last few times I've watched these games, uh, Sunderland have t- tended to win. And uh, that, that seemed to be the, the pattern for the last the last few when I was watching them in the Premier League. So, yeah, it's been weirdly one-sided, but in the wrong direction, you would have thought. Uh, I've got the name of the horse. Oh, yes. Uh, the horse was called Bud. B-U-D, Bud the Horse. That's a terrible name for a horse, but, it's, but yeah, it is very good context. Yeah, I like it. Let's deal with the Newcastle side of things. We'll talk about Sunderland as well in a minute, but it's a difficult time for them. Obviously, they were they were battered against Liverpool on New Year's Day, where they conceded an historic and record-breaking XG tally of 7.27. Before we go into the sort of struggles of Newcastle, just on that point, John, and for people who don't don't digest XG particularly well, seven point two seven that is that is that is remarkable, is it not? Yeah, it's it's right up there with one of the biggest figures for aggregate XG that you'll see for a single game. And most of the time, you know, when teams put up big scores, their XG total will usually be much lower than that. So I think when Liverpool beat Bournemouth nine nil, I think the XG total was was under three. Um, so in this in this instance, you know, there's a possible world where where Liverpool will score something like 12, 13 goals. So yeah, it, it this is this is unprecedented. There's there's been very few examples in elite football of, of that sort of total happening. I'm pretty sure it's the highest one we've seen in the Premier League. But the other other games that have topped that have been games like Bayern Munich versus Bochum a few a few seasons back. So yeah, really unprecedented number of expected goals. And in in general terms on Newcastle's form Tim, is that symptomatic of a side that is 
just going in one direction and 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 in decline or is it still related to to injuries what's your sort of your read on Eddie Howe's Newcastle at the moment uh, I'd say injuries plus Champions League really taken a massive dent to their sort of Premier League performances they gave so much to what was an incredibly tough Champions League group it was very ex- very exciting time for the for the fans the management the players as well it was it was the it was the big thing of their first half of the season and yeah losing uh, or dropping out of Europe in the way that they did was always going to be hard to recover from. Plus the injuries. I mean, you, you talk about XG. Their XG against in their previous game at home to Forest was three point five, which for a home team is is very very bad. It was three point eight at Spurs recently when they when they shipped four. It was three point three at Everton. It was four point four at PSG when they should have got absolutely spanked. And all of these have come since late November. People will remember the PSG games when they they couldn't even make a sub in the game because they were down to so many, so few senior players. I think you combine that with the fact that they overperformed last year. They had a very solid and consistent defence last year. They conceded 33 goals all season in the Premier League. They're already up to 29 this year. You've got dips in form for Kieran Trippier. You've got Nick Pope not there. You've got Tonali not there. And um, yeah, I think... Spurs have had a comparable injury record as in it's been horrendous but the difference is that Spurs haven't had any other games in between and they've had no Europe to play for whereas like I said Newcastle gave everything to Champions League and they're still recovering from that I think So does that you know from from your point of view Tim do you think that the the hierarchy at Newcastle are going to be patient and just go all you know we'll just this is this is what happens in the in the Premier League or do you think that their minds might start to be thinking about a, a bigger ticket manager to take them on to that next level uh, it's it's a good question and I, I guess we, we you know we don't know how I was gonna say we don't know how patient or impatient these owners are going to be but to be fair you know you, you say big ticket I mean their first manager was Eddie Howe who was who was a gamble they could have they could have gone out and paid for pretty much whoever they wanted or at the time and you look at their recruitment strategy it's been sort of a bit slower than we might have expected and fewer superstars than we might have expected. And um, I think that hints at a more sensible long-term approach. It seems like they're probably getting good guidance and good advice. You always hear noises as to when, when a manager's in danger and you certainly don't hear anything on that front about Eddie Howe. So I think, yeah, given the circumstances, given they're ahead of schedule in their, in their projects, you, I know you're going to keep doing this with every guest until somebody goes for Newcastle with a two-footed challenge. But it's not it's not happened just yet. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think I think they're playing the longer game. And as to your question, I I wrote an article at the uh, sort of the end of last season where I did go in for the two foot challenge, and it it didn't turn out that brilliantly for me. So I'm going to kind of artfully swerve that for the time being. I just direct people to the to the uh, article and they can sort of shout themselves hoarse with an A this time in the uh, in the comments. Lovely stuff. Thanks. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the red and white side of the the proposition. And, you know, we are obviously focusing the majority of the time on Premier League action. We preview the the, the weekend uh, action in the in the top division. In terms of Sunderland, where do they sort of figure on your your radar, John? Well, they they don't particularly figure on my radar that much at all, uh, apart from the fact that I'm a Leeds United fan, so we occasionally clash with them uh, this season. But yeah, it's it's sort of hard to read where where Sunderland are at right now in terms of uh, their level because obviously they have a new manager who has only been in charge for I think four league games, um, so we're still coming to terms with what Michael Beale's Sunderland are going to look like. Uh, they let Tony Mowbray go 
at a point where Sunderland were doing okay in the table. So I think there's been questions raised about, certainly from the fan base, about about that aspect of, of why you might let the, the manager go in those in those conditions. But it does seem as though Michael Beale is is starting to get results out of out of a Sunderland team who I think have you know some exciting players. And I think the expectation is is that they would be there and thereabouts in the in the playoff positions come the end of the championship season. So um, early days yet. Um, and I suppose that balancing off where Sunderland are at with where Newcastle are at, uh, obviously Newcastle going through a little bit of a, a shaky period and Sunderland potentially having what is colloquially known as a manage, manager, new manager bounce. This does set it up to be quite an interesting uh, prospect, I think, of a fixture with obviously all of the backstory riding on it as well in terms of the, the um, rivalry between these two clubs. Now, before we recorded, I checked in with a colleague of mine from, from Sky Sports News, Tom White, who is a big Sunderland fan, just to sort of get his his feel ahead of the game. And, and this is what he said in terms of potential match winners. Jack Clark is the one to watch for, for Sunderland. But also he spoke glowingly about Job Bellingham. Sunderland have a Bellingham. They have his younger brother. And, and Jude Bellingham, whilst La Liga was on a break, spent some time at Sunderland seeing his, seeing his brother, seeing his family and stuff. And this is what Tom said about Bellingham. He said he's pure class. He just needs to fill out a little bit. Very intelligent on the ball. Great first touch. Keeps it simple. Usually plays as a 10, but is maybe more effective as a striker. He might actually play there on Saturday, he says. He wants to play as a box-to-box midfielder, but he's not as effective when he plays as deep. These are just his thoughts. He's very mature, though. He plays like he has hundreds of appearances under his belt, but he's only 18. He basically sounds like a carbon copy of his brother, doesn't he, Tim? Yes, although he doesn't have Bellingham on the back of his shirt, which I find really interesting. So he's he's Job, and that's a very sort of deliberate thing, I think, to create his own separate identity. It must be hard, you know, his, uh, his brother's over at Real Madrid being one of the best players in the world. Although I, I guess it helps him the fact that he's not like five or six years younger than his brother and he's had to constantly see his success, you know, in this daunting sort of sphere ahead of him. And he's sort of rapidly following in his footsteps, I guess. And like Jude, he's having a very, very productive season at championship level and who knows where that's going to lead but yeah it is it is kind of uncanny the similarities <laughs> like in terms of position but also just the way that they move and you know same position they look and move very similarly they're both not lacking in composure or technical ability or balance this is well I guess the biggest game of his career right so everybody's looking forward to, to seeing how he gets on I was reading an interview with him and it feels like he's sort of slightly ahead of schedule in, in terms of like where he thought his career might be at, at this point he only really got in the Birmingham team properly last season. I think it was a bit of a surprise that he he moved, or you know, certainly when he moved to to Sunderland. So yeah, I mean, huge amounts of sympathy for him because you, you, he he is even if he was a different sort of player, if he was a holding midfielder, or even if he was like a winger or you know something, then then the comparisons to his brother wouldn't be mentioned in every kind of every article and every podcasts that people do about him but because they are sort of play broadly in the same position although as, as we said he might play up front it's it's just impossible not to compare the two well we shall see how he fares in the game let's have a little bit of a this feels like a bit of a stab in the dark on um what the score is going to be let's start with your prediction john i think that newcastle will win this game and i think the score will be two nil jolly good tim 
Uh, I think if you take a very out of form Newcastle team and replace them with even weaker players and yeah, if Sunderland pick a strong team, I think they will win 2-1. Okay. And Nick? I think Sunderland will win 2-0. Really? This is good. 1-2, 2-1 and 2-0. We will see what happens and we will reflect on that next week. Next on this show is Arsenal against Liverpool. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So Sunday, 4.30 at the Emirates. It is the most high-profile clash of the weekend. Arsenal, similar to Newcastle, but not quite as bad, going through a little bit of a tricky spell at the moment. They're looking to get back on track. Liverpool are top of the lot uh, as we ended 2023 in the Premier League. Um, We should just mention AFCOD, of course, and the Asia Cup as well, because it's having an impact on teams uh, in the Premier League, some teams in the EFL uh, as well. But Liverpool losing Mo Salah and for potentially the entirety of the AFCOM, because we know last time out, Egypt went all the way to the to the final. Just a quick word on, on how they're going to deal without him, John. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very difficult. Mo Salah is, I think, at the top of the direct goal involvements table right now in the Premier League for this season with, with 22. That puts him four ahead of Erling Haaland, who's on 18. Um, Son Heung-min actually up there as well. He will be another player who will be going off to to play in, in uh, international competition as well at the same time. But yeah, Mohamed Salah being very, very important to the way that Liverpool are playing at the moment and losing him and you know, not having a, a sort of direct replacement um, that, that comes to mind to replace, to, to have him filling in that slot means that Liverpool are going to have to be creative in, in some ways to, in, in order to, to get around that that um, that aspect of, of the game. So, yeah, I think Mohamed Salah being being out for a month or so, however long, however long it will end up being, is going to be, uh, it's going to raise the, 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 the toughest questions about how good this Liverpool team are actually. And it was also interesting watching the game against Newcastle. I think it was remarked upon by whoever the co-commentator was. Was it? I think it was Gary Neville speaking about Endo, and he's going to be at the Asia Cup. That's that's another sort of maybe sort of more low key blow because he seemed to be getting into his his stride for Liverpool, and that will mean okay, it's no, it's no bad thing bringing in a World Cup winner in Alexis McAllister, but it does have a, a little bit of an impact on the dynamic in that in that midfield, Tim. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, he's, he's very smart in possession, very good at winning the ball back, sort of a composed, no-fuss player who you, who you miss, really. And it's bad timing. Some clubs have only got two games or so this month, but Liverpool have got five because they're in the Carabao Cup semis. 
And then they've got this big game against Arsenal in the league coming up in the first week of February. So with him as I mean, they've got the strongest squad in the league in terms of depth, I think, in terms of in terms of quality from the bench, not being too dissimilar to a lot of the players they have in the first eleven. But still, as John rightly says in terms of yeah, in terms of Salago in particular, we are gonna really see how good they are because there are certain players, certainly that forward line who certainly someone called uh, Darwin Nunes who really need to start stepping up in the absence of others now. Uh, just a quick one from you, Nick. Where do you think the FA Cup lies in, in Liverpool's priority list at the moment, in this season in particular, when they do have this genuine chance of winning the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be their fourth priority at the moment because it is, by definition, the the competition that they are furthest away from from winning. Their priority should be the league, uh, they're obviously into the kind of knockout stages of the Europa League. They're in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup. So, you know, while um, they're not going to completely throw the the FA Cup and you know, it's a game against Arsenal, so, you know, that they might have to consider the kind of psychological effect that that might have uh, if they lose this game on the, the league game coming up and the rest of the league games for the rest of the month, I suppose. But... Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect that, that Jurgen Klopp is going to play a particularly strong or, or, or at least not a first-choice team, particularly given the the kind of other injuries that they have at fullback in particular. So, yeah, it, it's I think it's comfortably their, their fourth priority in terms of the competitions that they're, they're still in because it's the one they have their furthest away from winning. Arsenal's last six games, John lost against Aston Villa, drew against PSV, beat Brighton, drew against Liverpool, lost against West Ham and lost against Fulham. What's what's wrong with them at the minute? Because Mikel Arteta seemingly is is a bit worried. He did say that the Fulham performance was their worst of the of the season. Uh, are you worried? Yeah, I think it's it's funny because I'm old enough to remember uh, people thinking Arsenal were going to win the league earlier in the season, and, and they looked they looked unbeatable. I mean, even that game against Brighton was was their best performance of the season, and they looked like they could take anyone on playing in that way. Brighton were barely able to generate a chance, and I suppose this game is quite interesting insofar as we arrive at it within the context of Liverpool having played quite well recently, Arsenal having dropped off. So it's it's very tempting to just be like, well, you know, Arsenal are bad now, Liverpool are good, but. This season has been crazy for upheavals in terms of what we expected. We thought that Man City were miles off the pace and they find themselves, what if they win their game in hand, two points off the top of the table. So that's not to say that Arsenal don't have concerns, but I think they've had those concerns all the way through the season and they've been able to overcome those issues, particularly in possession of the ball, I think, when they've needed to at certain times and how many times have we seen them in, in across the last two seasons, finishing games off late on, finding it within themselves to, to get the goals that are needed. So I think that this, is a lot, this, this isn't just a sort of recent phenomenon. I think that essentially maybe some of the issues that they've had for a while have caught up with themselves. But for me, a lot of this comes down to the fact that what we've seen from Mikel Arteta, especially this season, has been uh, risk aversion, uh, setting up a team. And I think maybe off the back of last season when when the frailties that they had were perhaps more defensively minded feels as though he's gone into the season to try and fix those 
those defensive problems in particular. And what they've ended up doing is making a team that are just in- incredibly solid from a defensive point of view, uh, but a team that does have uh, issues in terms of how they are going to generate goals. So I think Arsenal are very much in a, in a sort of transitional stage right now, working out what it is that they are going to be going forward. And a lot of this, I think, comes under the under the remit of, of the teething issues with, with different players in different structures and, and trying to work out their identity as a, as a team. It's an interesting point, John, and I suppose it does sort of beg the question that obviously focusing on whether they bring in a striker in January would necessarily solve all their issues, but it may well sort of force force a bit of a change, a bit more clarity, I suppose. Would you, would you feel, say, if, if Ivan Tony came in, John, that 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 would be a catalyst for for change and and more positivity or 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 that those issues wouldn't disappear yeah again it comes back to what i was saying about the identity of the team and i, I suppose to me a lot of the questions about oh if they just bring in a classic number 9 to be able to finish those the sorts of chances that they're going to be creating from those wide areas then you're you're effectively saying this is the kind of team that we're going to be now and and let's not forget this is an Arsenal team who when you look at the amount of the ratio of open play goals that they're scoring compared to goals in general it's around 50% so 50% of the the goals that they're generating are from set pieces and and I think you know a lot of that comes from the fact that they have become very risk averse in many respects right and if you compare that to recent winners of the Premier League their their ratio of open play goals to goals has been up at you know 70 80% much higher so, uh, yes, maybe the short-term solution is bring in a number nine, start finishing the sorts of chances that you're generating. But in the long run, does that mean that you're, you, you've got Mikel Arteta moving away from the sort of play style that he actually wants Arsenal to be playing? And then, you know, you're, you're creating more longer-term issues in, in that respect. I, I don't know. I don't know how Mikel Arteta would, would answer that question. But I suspect that maybe some of, of, of those questions might be answered by thinking about how do we, as I said before, progress the ball in ways that are going to suit the, the, the profile of players that we already have rather than attempting to bring in players to fit uh, a play style which, which maybe isn't working quite so well, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And it's it's interesting, obviously, you know, we haven't mentioned it really yet that we are now in the January transfer window and the coverage continues on, on The Athletic, um, as always with our transfer blog. And you'll find out any developments on, on Arsenal and all of the teams in the Premier League, uh, the EFL around Europe as well with our coverage. So you can keep posted on the transfer window. Final point on Arsenal against Liverpool. Your predictions, what way do you think it's going to go, Nick? Ooh, uh, Liverpool to win narrowly. I'm going to say 2-1. Tim? Uh, It's difficult to call, really, because you don't know who's going to play. So we'll see a lot of rotation from both teams. Who's who's at home? Arsenal. Okay, yeah, we'll go go with an Arsenal win, 1-0. And John? Yeah, so Arsenal and Liverpool have played recently and I thought in that game Liverpool did a really good job of sort of pulling Arsenal to their level, playing really dynamic, attacking, progressive football um, and and reducing um, control that, that Arsenal like to have. And I think if the game follows that same, that same uh, process, I think Arsenal will struggle. So I'll say Liverpool to win 2-0. Jolly good. I've jotted it down. Next, John, you're off to West London. So let's have a look at one of the other all-Premier League ties in this FA Cup third round weekend. And John, you're sort of muscling in on Tim's love affair with Wolves by heading off to to see the game at Brentford. What, why? Why that one? 
Well, I mean, I feel a bit embarrassed saying this, but I'm, I'm good pals with one of the assistant coaches at Brentford and he offered me tickets. So I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'll go. It's a Friday, it's a Friday night, but it's not too late on a Friday night. It's a 7.15 kickoff. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll treat myself, take one of my friends along. And so I, I've been to a few games at the GTEC um, this season and it's a really good experience. I really like going to the stadium. I always have a good time there. I always think Brentford put on good football. Uh, I know they haven't been doing so well in terms of results this, this season, but it's always very enjoyable to get along. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, knowing the club so well, just explain to me how they're feeling about the form that they're in. They've lost five in a row. They're only five points above the relegation zone. Obviously, Thomas Frank is is sort of a pretty sort of cool cucumber, but I would have thought even he is sort of starting to go, yeah, we need to, we need to just maybe come up with some of the answers now. Yeah, I'm afraid I can't boast any sort of special insight to what's going on in terms of the club. Um, but yeah, I'm sure they are not happy with the way things have gone this season because um, it's definitely a, been that the club has been heading in a direction, at least in terms of the table, that they don't want to be heading in. But I think it's, it's a funny one because I think if you look at a lot of the underlying numbers here, and I know you know that's my constant refrain. Uh, the, the underlying numbers aren't everything. I, I, I would always push back on people who suggest that. But actually, if you look at a lot of the results that they've had, they've been quite unlucky. There's been a lot of games where they've they've sort of leveled out in terms of chance creation with with teams and, and ended up losing those games. And people will remember the, the game at Old Trafford where they were 1-0 up going into injury time and, and that ended up being turned around. Yeah, so if you trace your way down all of their results, almost all of the, um, the, the results where they've ended up dropping points, you could argue that on a different day there might have been uh, different results there. So I think, again, that's not to uh, offer excuses for them because I think they will obviously be going through the tape and looking and thinking how, what, are the, what are common problems that are occurring that are causing us to drop these points. But at the same time, I think there's enough there to suggest they're, they're strong enough that they won't be in any sort of danger of dropping into the bottom three. I'll ask Tim about Wolves in a minute, but Nick, in terms of Brentford, they can't let Ivan Tony leave in this window, can they? Even if a, even if a team comes up with, you know, the, the reported hundred million pounds that they may well want. No, I mean, and I can't imagine that anyone will sort of come up with that amount of money for a, for a player that hasn't been playing for you know most of the season. But yeah, that even if they didn't have the injuries that they have up front where you know the, the the backups to Tony or the players that were playing alongside him aren't most of those most of those players aren't going to be available for a little while either so uh, you know I, I can't envisage a, a scenario where they will actually let him go unless there is someone desperate enough to to come up with you know huge amounts of money in the summer it was it's obviously going to be a, a, a different story he'll be a few months closer to the end of his contract so um, that that will sort of theoretically make him a better candidate for for other teams. He might be a little bit cheaper, and he'll have you know half a season of actually playing football um, behind him. So yeah, I, I I can't imagine that he will leave in January, but probably in the summer. Meanwhile, no such problems or concerns for Wolves going great guns under Gary O'Neill. I suppose that the 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 one sort of disappointment or or challenge or hurdle or whatever you want to call it for for Gary O'Neill is that he's going to have to deal without Huang He Chang for a little bit of time because he's off to the Asia Cup. I suppose you don't want to be missing him at all when you probably think he might be snapped up by a bigger club at some point, Tim, or is that unfair? Uh, um, well, I mean, Wolves have only got one league game for the rest of the month. 
So he's not going to be missing as many games as he normally would. I mean, he's done amazing. He's, he, you know, he's always had that sort of clinical touch, but it's a pretty small sample size in terms of his, his great run of form. You know, he's he spent two years not scoring, really. So I wouldn't have thought many clubs would be after him based on his form as well as he's done. I mean, they might be in terms of his marketability because, you know, I tell you what, I, I see it first firsthand with Son at Spurs every week, just how valuable he is in terms of a profitable commodity and yeah Huang behind Son is, is is an extremely popular player in South Korea which Wolves are keen to exploit so um, that's the reason they'll want to keep hold of him as well by the way but yeah he's, he's had an amazing season and yeah but to balance out his absence one of the best players from the Premier League in the opening few weeks and months of the season Pedro Neto who people may have forgotten about he's back from injury he's had a couple of months out so um, so yeah that balances it out and um yeah, no, like I said, no league game for Wolves until bear with me until the twenty second of January from this point. So, so they might that might lend them to play a stronger team in this game than they normally might. When was the last time that Wolves won a major trophy? Tim? Oh God, are you, are you... <laughs> all right? I can just so I just give I'll just give you the answer. Nineteen eighty. Okay, it's fine. Being Forest in the final league cup in nineteen eighty. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's cool. I just wanted to say because. You know, Forest, Forest have won a major trophy. Wolves have won a, a major trophy. And it is worth just well, checking out I'll just interrupt you there. What, Wolves, what, Wolves what, haven't what? just won a major trophy. They've won many, right? They've won three leagues, four FA Cups and two League Cups, OK? OK, sorry. I stand very, very corrected. But I was just it was just making the point that they have won a major trophy. You know, Nottingham Forest have won, like Wolves, multiple and major Watford, trophies. And Watford haven't, yeah. But there yeah, is an yeah. article that you can... <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's the whole point. Just let, me get, just let me get the bloody words out. So, basically, there is an article on The Athletic ahead of this weekend that is, who is the biggest club in England to have never won a major trophy? And, yes, I do put the case forward for Watford. It's not the strongest case, but there are some other writers from The Athletic that put forward their cases for the likes of uh, Crystal Palace and Fulham, Brighton as well. So, yeah, you can check that out on The Athletic. I just wanted to mention it. All right. That's all. Uh, Just a a quick word about some of the other uh, games in the FA Cup this weekend. Wigan against Manchester United. Cup shock. Are Are we in on that, do you think, Nick? Uh, yeah, I mean, it will be incredibly funny, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it is one of those kind of situations where it's either going to go one of two ways, either ripe for a cup shock or United will just steamroll them and it will be, you know, 5 nil, and a bunch of fringe players will score goals and, um, you know, no one will pay much attention to it. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a potential for a shock there. Well, we'll see what happens in that one. A quick word about Forest against Blackpool. All is well at Forest now, isn't it, Nick? With uh, with Nuno in charge, it was never in doubt. What, uh, a, what you, a manager! As as um, Tim will tell you, my, our our WhatsApp history between uh, me and Tim will tell you. I always rated Nuno <laughs> and welcomed his uh, appointment with with open arms. You know, I can um, screenshot those messages, right? You know, you're aware I've got that ability. <laughs> um, yeah, well, well I'm, I'm, just just give me a minute. I'll just do some updating. I, I exaggerate slightly because it wasn't like it wasn't like I was kind of wailing at Tim's feet that um, you know was uh, was uh, replacing Steve Cooper. I was just kind of in a, a you know emotional place at the time. How Cooper having uh, having gone, um, but yeah, it's going superbly so far. I mean, it, it is only three games, but 
uh, beat Newcastle, beat Manchester United. Morgan Gibbs-White is suddenly playing brilliantly, having been um, not great for a lot of the, the, the season. Uh, two wingers playing well. He's got Chris Wood scoring goals, which is about as close to actual magic as I think you, you could get, bearing in mind his um, performances for the rest of the season. So, yeah, I, I mean... I, I I would imagine that there won't be too many of the kind of first choice players playing in in this game. But then again, he might. It, although obviously he wasn't there here last time at this time last season. Uh, Forest played Blackpool in the third round last season and got absolutely thumped. I forget what the, the score was, but I think it may have been four one. Yeah, that was the sort of nadir of last season. So even though he wasn't there, he might f- think of that as a sort of cautionary tale and, and play a slightly stronger team. But yeah, all going very well so far. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now, just before we go, I wanted to talk about 2024. And obviously, as we've we've uh, acknowledged, we do like a prediction. We we've got half a season behind us. I wanted to get some predictions for the rest of the the season. And we'll start with all of the trophies, the three major English trophy winners for this season. So I'll start with you, John, and I just want three names. Premier League, FA Cup, Carabao Cup. You definitely like predictions too much, and I absolutely hate predictions. So Premier League... <laughs> Deal be, with it. Deal I'll with be, it and go on with it. I'll be boring and say Man City. In the FA Cup, look, well, there's 32 teams left in it in a knockout tournament, so like anyone. So uh, Bournemouth, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then Carabao Cup, I'll go with Liverpool. Thank you. Tim? See, uh, I've just realised that uh, earlier on in the show, I predicted that Liverpool will be knocked out of the FA Cup, uh, and yet I've written down that they're going to win the FA Cup. Um, <laughs> so we'll go with Arsenal for the FA Cup, because <laughs> yeah. Man City for Premier League, and uh, Fulham for the Carabao. Okay, lovely, Nick. Uh, yeah, well, again, boringly, Manchester City for the Premier League, Tottenham for the FA Cup. And then, am I going to go boring with the Carabao? 
Uh, Middlesbrough. I'll go with Middlesbrough. Really? Okay, fine. Uh, jolly <laughs> Come good. On. Fine. That's the first set of uh, predictions that we've got. And this might be a little bit more challenging, but it might actually get John a little bit more excited <laughs> because we're going to ask for the predictions of the winners for the Champions League, the Europa League, and, ooh, John, the Conference League. <laughs> Who's going to win that? So let's start off with you, John. Champions League, Europa League, and Conference League. I'm going to disappoint you. I've got uh, English team, English team, English team. Do you, do you want more than that? No, no, nothing more specific than that. Just English team, English team, English team. Names. I'll say Leverkusen for the Europa League just to be a little bit more interesting. But I do still think that Liverpool probably will win okay. it. Conference League, I'll go Villa. Champions League, I'll go uh, Real Madrid. I don't okay. even believe that. I don't even believe that. So I'm that. taking Real Madrid, Leverkusen and Villa. Yeah. Tim? Uh, Champions League, Harry Kane's going to win the final at Wembley. And then he's going to win the Euros in Germany a month later. So Bayern Munich for the Champions League and Liverpool for the Europa and Fiorentina for the Conference League. Nice. Nick? Uh, like John, I've gone with Aston Villa for the Conference League. No, no logic at all to the Champions League and Euro Europa League predictions. PSG for the Champions League and Galatasaray for the Europa League. Ooh. I do like that. Right. Euro 2024. Tim, you've already said that England are going to win it. That's right, it's yeah? coming home. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, John? I'm also going to go with uh, Scotland, actually. I'm going to go with Scotland. <laughs> right, okay. You're taking the piss. Nick? <laughs> uh, Germany to beat England in the final. Okay, fine. Right, a little bit broader. Relegated from the Premier League, John first. I will say Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United. Okay, fine. Tim? Uh, Brentford, Burnley, and Sheffield United. Oh, okay. And Nick? Yeah, I, I can I go with, uh, as things stand, the the sort of boring three, Luton, Burnley, Sheffield United, pending possible points deductions for Forrest, because if Forrest get the Everton treatment, then yes. um, there could be some problems there. Yes, that is an ongoing situation, which you will find out the latest on, on The Athletic, of course. Does anyone know who's going to come up from the championship? It'll be the same teams that went down last season. So Leicester will go through top, followed by Southampton, and then Leeds will win the playoff final. Okay, all right, fair enough. Tim? Uh, yeah, same top two, Leicester, Southampton, and Leeds will lose the playoff final to Sunderland. <laughs> to Sunderland. Okay, good. And Nick? Uh, yeah, well, I've got Leicester, Leeds to finish second, and then Ipswich win to win the playoffs. Okay, now, uh, a bit um, more sort of... Uh, explanation around this who's going to be the breakthrough player of 2024 John so uh, I was watching Girona versus Atletico Madrid yesterday and I was very uh, impressed by Pablo Torre who is a, a Barcelona player on loan at Girona so I thought I'd throw him there to be topical but the other players that I've got is, uh, I've got Florian Wirtz uh, at Leverkusen who I think maybe breakthrough is is probably pushing it a little bit but I think this summer he'll get a move somewhere big and everyone will be, everyone will be talking about him. And then the other player I've got is Valentin Barco, who's a Boca Juniors player who's been linked with with Manchester City, but is a left-sided sort of... has played as a fullback, also as a, as a midfielder as well. And I think he's quite an exciting talent. I think he will move to Europe and do something fun. Tim, breakthrough player for you? I mean, how do you follow that, really? I... I, I... 
<laughs> I mean, I was also watching Girona v Atletico Madrid yesterday, but no, no, nobody stood out for me. So, uh, um, no, um, Alvaro Morata. <laughs> Uh, it depends what you mean by breakthrough, really. But um, the kid at Dortmund, J- Jamie Bino Gittins, he, I mean, he's already broken through. He scored in the Champions League, for goodness sake. But it feels like he's the one who could get a move to the Premier League this summer and everyone will everyone will start to hear of him, unlike, unlike John, who knows everything about him already. Yeah, OK. No, I like that. Um, and Nick, anyone that you've got your eye on that you think, oh, yeah, he's going to go far? Uh, yeah, again, it's, it's slightly stretching the definition of breakthrough, given that he's been playing the Champions League this season. But what... Uh, Johan Bakayoko at uh, PSV looks uh, very exciting and uh, I suspect, I don't, I don't know whether he'll go in, in January, but I suspect he will move somewhere in the summer and uh, yeah, he looks pretty good. Okay. Um, as we mentioned before, we are in the in the transfer window period at the moment, but a transfer that you would like to see for whatever reason this year. John. So I've gone for Izzy Palathon from Rio Vallecano to Bournemouth because I think the the reunion of Andoni Areola and Izzy Palathon would be a beautiful thing. That was just dripping in in hipster goodness. Thank <laughs> you for that. Um, Tim? Uh, John has taken mine, so I'll go with someone else. <laughs> um, so I, I, I love how Man United always sign a non-goal-scoring striker at this time of year. So it was Odia Nogalo a few years ago. It was Vat Beghorst last year. So I'm backing them, because, uh, you know, they need to bring a striker in, to sign Rian Brewster, who's currently scored <laughs> no goals in 34 Premier League appearances, all for Sheffield United. So I think he's, he's tailor-made for Old Trafford. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, and Nick? Well, I've kind of gone with a similar theory in that I, I, I like, the um, the sticking plaster Manchester United striker in January theme, but I, I almost feel like I've wasted this one by picking one that is sort of it feels like it could plausibly happen and actually plausibly be quite good, given that Karim Benzema doesn't seem awfully happy in Saudi. So hey, maybe he could he could sign for Manchester United. Okay, any new tactics that you would like to see, and these can be as reasonable and sort of knowledge-based or as weird and wonderful as you would like them to be? John, let's start with you. The new tactic of 2024. See, you can't you can't ask me that question and not expect me to talk for five minutes. So I'm going to be very short. I'll make sure I don't talk too much. But what I will say is that uh, I think in the last few seasons, what we've seen is that, that teams have been become very solid, pressing high up the field. And they've become very structured and they've been very, become very aggressive. And what we're starting to see now, I think, is teams being very flexible in their build-up. So teams like Spurs, where you see a lot of rotations between players. Uh, Liverpool against Arsenal, I thought, was an interesting example of that because uh, Arsenal have one of the best high presses in the league. Uh, but Liverpool have Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's essentially now becoming a very sort of floaty build-up player, which is kind of quite quite new. So I think what we're going to start seeing is much more flexibility in, in build-up structures to make it harder for oppositions to press high up the field and uh, yeah so I think that's typified by Trent Alexander-Arnold playing almost like a quarterback being able to move all, all the way across the field and, and, and do what he does so well. Tim? Well this isn't really a tactic but you know how players get booked for waving an imaginary yellow card <laughs> I think they're going to start to get booked for doing the TV <laughs> VR thing that's not really a tactic it's just a prediction. No I can see that I can see that being grouped into the same into the same category yeah okay I like that. Nick? I quite like to see, and I'm sort of peering over my laptop screen at John, who <laughs> may well tell me that this is already happening in happening somewhere. But um, I quite like to see the return of the sort of slightly flighty sweeper, someone who 
kind of sat behind the defence and, and just kind of wandered forward every now and then. I, I, I'm basically saying that because that's ha- essentially how I play at five-a-side because <laughs> it tends to involve minimal running and um, maximum occasional good passes. So, yeah, I quite like to see that coming back. Lovely. I like that. A nice mix. That is all we have time for today. I really appreciate you being on the show as always. Nick, thank you. No worries. I'll, I'll expect my T-shirt next time. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. Next Christmas. Uh, Tim, thank you. Cheers, Adam. Well done for getting through one show without saying you know what. Thank you. New Year's resolution, never in doubt. And John, thank you to you. And I hope you enjoy sitting on the bench alongside Thomas Frank and all your friends at Brentford. <laughs> yeah, well, I always enjoy a little bit of Leventhal ball. So, yeah, I've, I've had a great time today. That's fine. That is fine. You can say it. I can't say it. <laughs> that is all for today. IO is going to be back on Monday as usual. Um, if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you can sign up now for £2 or $2 a month for the first 12 months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Enjoy your FA Cup weekend and we'll see you next week. Take care. The Athletic.